0: This episode is sponsored by Blueberry. If you're thinking about starting a podcast or you just aren't satisfied with your current podcast hosting, Blueberry is the place to go. With premium stats, intuitive design, and even your own WordPress website, it's the gold standard of podcast hosting. And if you go to orbitaljigsaw.com history, you can get your first month absolutely free. That's orbitaljigsaw.com history. Two short men walk along the edge of the treeline, stepping over gnarled roots on their way back to the tribe. They laugh with each other playfully, happy about their recent catch from the shallows. Nearly naked, they each carry several fish hooked with a wooden spear to the gills. Fading ceremonial red paint is just barely visible on their dark, weathered faces. As the pair walks up the well-worn path to their tribe, they feel the sun setting behind them. The lower light doesn't make any difference though, as the island is so familiar to every member of the tribe. The two men now make it to the small village around nightfall, and begin to gather around a large hollowed out tree. A massive black scar of burnt wood stretches across one side. Inside the crevice are burning embers, now over a month old. The tribe has yet to discover how to make fire, and are often dependent on lightning strikes on old trees to provide them with embers necessary to cook their catch. As the tribe finishes their meal of fish and turtle eggs, a few of the younger men motion up at a slow-moving star in the sky. Many marvel at the little pinpoint of light. Elders speak of the myth surrounding this familiar star as children get on their parents' shoulders to try to get a better view. That little point of light is the International Space Station. And this scene that I just described could have taken place any time that you're listening to this. This is the story of North Sentinel Island and a group of isolated people that live there and have been living the same way for the past 50,000 years. I'm Jake Barton, welcome to Historium, Episode 41, The Island Lost in Time. North Sentinel Island lies in the Andaman Island chain in the Eastern Indian Ocean between India and Southeast Asia. Its first appearance in the historical record was a mention from none other than Marco Polo in the year 1296. He described the people living on the island as, quote, a most brutish and savage race, having heads, eyes, and teeth like those of dogs. They are very cruel and kill and eat every foreigner whom they can lay their hands upon. Historians believe that he based this statement purely on hearsay, and did not actually visit the islands himself. However, this acknowledgement proves that the popular rumors that the islanders were incredibly violent and possibly even cannibalistic were prevalent even back in the Middle Ages. One night in 1771, an East India Company survey vessel, the Diligent, passed by North Sentinel Island and cited, quote, a multitude of lights upon the shore," unquote. This is the first recorded mention of the island itself, but the surveying party did not stop to investigate. In those days, bonfires still shone from hundreds of coasts all over the world. So the ship sailed on. In 1867, towards the end of the summer monsoon season, an Indian merchant vessel, the Nineveh, was wrecked on the reef off of North Sentinel Island. 86 passengers and 20 crewmen got safely to the beach in the ship's boats. On the morning of the third day, as these survivors sat down for a makeshift breakfast, they were suddenly attacked by the natives. The Nineveh's captain later reported, quote, "...the savages were perfectly naked, with short hair and red-painted noses, and were opening their mouths and making strange sounds. Their arrows appeared to be tipped with iron." The Sentinelese have no access to metal, but probably scavenge the metal from flotsam on the beach, as they apparently still do today. The captain and crew had fled at the first shower of arrows and escaped on the ship's boats, to be picked up several days later by a ship bound for the East Indies. At this point, the Andaman Islands were now officially part of the British Empire, although that would be news to the Sentinelese. So eventually, a Royal Navy rescue party was dispatched by steamer to the site of the wreck. It arrived to find evidence of the natives' attack, but the tribe was nowhere to be found. In 1879, Maurice Portman, one of the leaders of the settlements on the Andaman Islands, had a fascination with the new, still pretty racist, field of anthropology. He was incredibly interested in the island's tribes and their customs. By this point, the Sentinelese were already renowned for their violence and reclusiveness, which made Officer Maurice Portman all the more eager to explore North Sentinel Island. Portman landed on the island at the head of a large party of armed men, including officers, convict orderlies, and trackers recruited from other tribes on nearby islands that the British had already befriended. The explorers marched through the jungle, systematically crisscrossing the small island in search of the natives. They found a network of pathways and several small villages that looked to have been freshly abandoned. Portman was impressed by the island's fertile soil and its groves of tropical hardwoods, but he did not encounter a single living soul. The Sentinelese simply melted into the forest when they heard the Europeans approach. Finally, after several days of searching, Portman and his men managed to flush out a few stragglers, an elderly couple and some children. In the interest of science, of course, the adults and the four children were brought aboard the exploring party's schooner and taken back to the port for observation. Unfortunately, Portman later wrote all of the captured Sentinelese, quote, sickened rapidly, and the old man and his wife died, so the four children were sent back to their home with a quantity of presents, unquote. In later years, Portman gained moderate renown for his anthropological research and for having, as his obituary put it, quote, above all other men, the native touch, that rare and mysterious gift that attracts and makes friends at once with natives." Unquote. Over the course of his long association with the Aborigines of the Andaman Islands, he grew quite fond of them, and came to believe, as he wrote, that quote, "...in many ways they closely resemble the average lower-class Englishman from the countryside." Unquote. Once, when visiting London, Portman addressed a meeting of the Royal Geographical Society, where he described his various adventures among the Andamanese. He concluded his speech by saying, quote, "...their association with outsiders has brought them nothing but harm, and it is a matter of great regret to me that such a pleasant race are so rapidly becoming extinct. We could do better to spare many another." Unquote. By 1896, the Andaman Island chain was being used as a penal colony by the British Empire. One of the inmates, a Hindu convict from the Indian mainland, escaped the penal colony on a makeshift raft. He drifted across about 30 miles of open ocean before landing on the beach of North Sentinel Island. A search party found his body there some days later, pierced in several places by arrows, and his throat cut. No natives were sighted. After this, the island was left alone for nearly 80 years. Meanwhile, the world entered a new century. Countries industrialized and became interconnected. There was a world war, and then a second, with a cold one to follow. Soon, total nuclear annihilation became a real possibility. But the tribe on North Sentinel Island continued going about their daily lives. North Sentinel Island was not visited again until the spring of 1974 when it was visited by a film crew that was shooting a documentary titled Man in Search of Man along with a few anthropologists, some armed policemen, and a photographer for National Geographic. In the words of one of the scientists, their plan was to quote, win the natives' friendship by friendly gestures and plenty of gifts. Unquote. As the team's motorized dinghy made its way through the reefs towards the shore. Some natives emerged from the woods. The anthropologists made friendly gestures, and the Sentinelese promptly responded with a hail of arrows. Eager for more of this fantastic footage, the dinghy proceeded to a landing spot just out of arrow range, where the policemen, armed in SWAT team regalia, disembarked and laid gifts on the sand, including a small plastic car, some coconuts, a tethered live pig, a child's doll, and some aluminum cookware. Then they returned to the dinghy and waited to observe the natives' reaction to the gifts. The natives' response was to fire more arrows, one of which hit the film director in the left thigh. The man who had shot the arrow laughed proudly and then proceeded to shake his genitals in their direction. The other Sentinelese natives went over to the gifts and buried them in the sand. With a large arrow, honestly more like a spear, sticking out of a bloody wound in his thigh, the director ordered everyone to retreat from the island. The next year, the exiled King of Belgium, on a tour of the Andamans, was brought by local dignitaries for an overnight cruise to the waters off of North Sentinel. Mindful of lessons learned the year before, they kept the royal party out of arrow range, approaching just close enough. For a sentinelese warrior to aim his bow menacingly at the king, who expressed his profound satisfaction with the adventure. On August 2, 1981, a Panamanian registered shipping freighter called the Primrose was trudging through heavy seas in the Bay of Bengal, in the Indian Ocean. Sometime around midnight, the ship became lodged on a coral reef. As dawn broke, the captain and crew noticed that they were very close to a small island, Checking the charts, they realized it was the infamous North Sentinel Island. Close to the beach, and in no danger of sinking, the captain ordered the crew to wait in the ship for help to arrive. A few days later, a band of natives emerged from the forest, their dark and painted skin contrasting with the white sand beach. They were naked except for narrow belts that circled their waists, and they were holding spears, bows, and arrows which they had begun waving in a manner that seemed not in any way friendly. The ship's crew watched in horror as the Sentinelese men gathered on the beach and began constructing rafts and canoes and were assembling what appeared to be a boarding party. Not long after this, a wireless operator at the shipping company's offices in Hong Kong received an urgent distress call from the Primrose's captain, asking for an immediate airdrop of firearms so that he and his crew could defend themselves. The message read, quote, wild men estimate more than 50 carrying various homemade weapons are making two or three wooden boats, worried they will board us at sunset, all crew members' lives not guaranteed, unquote. The same monsoon-whipped waves that had driven the primrose onto the reef in the first place kept the warriors' canoes at bay, and high winds blew their arrows off their mark. The crew kept up a 24-hour guard with makeshift weapons A flare gun, axes, some lengths of pipe, as news of the emergency slowly filtered to the outside world. Fighting the age-old myth, an Indian government spokesman denied reports in the Hong Kong press that the Sentinelese were cannibals. After nearly a week, the Indian Navy dispatched a tugboat and a helicopter to rescue the besieged sailors. The natives of North Sentinel Island must have watched the strange aircraft as it lowered three times above the Great Steel Hulk, lowering a rope ladder to pluck the men safely back into modernity. Then the strange metal beast departed, the sea calmed, and the island remained, lush and impenetrable, still seemingly immune to the modern world. Today, you can peer down at satellite images of North Sentinel Island on Google Earth, and if you do, you can see the wreck of the Primrose, on the island's northwest corner. In 1991, Indian anthropologist T. N. Pandit had the first ever recorded peaceful encounter with the Sentinelese. He met with a few men briefly in the shallows where he gave them some small trinkets and gifts. However, India banned visits to the island a few years later. After the brutal tsunami on Christmas Day 2004 that devastated much of Southeast Asia, The tribe on North Sentinel Island was thought to have been completely wiped out due to its very close proximity to the epicenter. However, a helicopter crew flying over the island some weeks later found that the tribe was alive and well when multiple arrows hit the side of their aircraft. The Sentinelese had somehow managed to get to high ground, meaning they must have some predictive knowledge of tsunamis. In 2006, two fishermen sought out the bountiful shallows of North Sentinel Island, despite the Indian ban. At night, while they were sleeping, their small boat drifted too close to the banks. Their bodies were found on the beach a few days later by an Indian Coast Guard helicopter. When they tried to retrieve the bodies, the helicopter was met with the now customary Hail of Arrows. In a somewhat controversial move, India decided not to prosecute the Sentinelese, as many more deaths could result. Since then, there has been no contact between the Sentinelese and the rest of the world. A three-mile exclusion zone has been established around the island. But our collective curiosity still remains. The question is often raised, what, if anything, do we do with North Sentinel Island? And why are we so interested in the first place? Maybe it's simply our old beliefs rooted in colonialism, seeking to bring industry and commerce to every corner of the earth. Or maybe we look at the Sentinelese as a mirror into our past selves. But it's apparent that the Sentinelese and other tribes like them captivate us. Every year or so, a supposed ancient pre-Neolithic tribe is, quote, discovered. But more often than not, these stories end up being hoaxes or they are greatly exaggerated. Many of the tribe's tribespeople already wearing baseball caps and smoking cigarettes when the film crew gets there. What various lost tribes and the Sentinelese teach us is that any isolated tribes that are left are not lost, they're hiding. And by looking at what tends to happen to native people when supposedly civilized people arrive, well... Who can blame them? And so, the Sentinelese, or whatever they actually call themselves, will continue to live in their pre-Neolithic bubble, blissfully unaware of the radio waves, television signals, and satellites flying silently overhead. Living like hunter-gatherers from ages past, and possibly dying of diseases cured ages ago, the people of North Sentinel Island will try to defy the odds. Whether it's possible, even with pollution and climate change, to maintain their stubborn isolation forever is unknown, but they can certainly try. Historium is written and produced by me, Jake Barton and is a proud member of the Orbital Jigsaw Network. There are some amazing videos on on the internet where you can watch the Sentinelese interact with uh, the film crew from the Man in Search of Man documentary um, and and other pictures. They are fascinating. So I suggest if, if this story interests you, go check those out. Many plans stem from our fascination with North Sentinel Island. A common one is sending small drones to the island to keep an eye on them for anthropological reasons or purely for human curiosity. Others think that that would violate the tribe's privacy and agency. But if you'd like to discuss this episode or any other episode of Astorium, you can do so on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you want to support the show, you can do so on Patreon. Starting later this year, $5 a month patrons will gain access to a bonus episode feed where you can hear some mini-episodes and some behind-the-scenes stuff as well. Another way to help out Historium is to share your favorite episode with a friend. As always, thanks for listening.